Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. You've been listening to The Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome back to McKernan with you here on 101 ESPN. It is our pleasure to welcome to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line from ESPN, Seth Wickersham. Seth, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys? Very good. Thanks so much for uh, joining us. Great piece this weekend on Tom Brady and uh, and his retirement. And I want to start there. Um, you clearly have uh, uh, information, rapport, uh, knowledge on Brady's uh, mindset and what went into this decision and uh, uh it, it sounds like it's not about shutting it down so much as starting the next chapter and being intrigued by business so uh i would like you if you could seth to to, to give our audience some perspective on what you've learned about what he would like to do beyond playing the game well i don't think he's walking away for any one reason i think that it's like a combination of a ton of things and, you know, one of the things that's the most basic one, it's really, really hard to play pro football. He's made it look so easy to play at a high level for so long that, you know, maybe we forget and take for granted, like, how hard it is to, to do that. And, um, you know, I think the thing just at the box, you know, he was raised in a very, very disciplined and attention to detail style of football. And... The Bucs are a fantastic organization, but it's not what the Patriots were. He left for a reason. And when you have – I'm not saying this is why he's walking away necessarily, but you saw the way they lost the Rams, isolating a safety on Cooper Cup. Like, sometimes you're just not as buttoned up as the Patriots were. I think that they're about to go through a lot of roster turnover. You know, starting over with teammates all the time can be tiring. Clearly, his wife has wanted him to walk away for a long time. He often says, you know, is this a Tommy day or a family day because he's so committed and driven in the offseason. And then I think finally, you look at this season more than any other. He really started to transition into doing a lot of other business endeavors from his podcast to his Brady brand. And I think that those really excite him more than people realize. And, you know, the people who have spoken with him, say that he speaks of the potential for the Brady brand globally combined with the TV 12 wellness stuff that he's done with the type of passion that he's spoken of football. And so I think, and then you finally look at the fact that, you know, he hates buses and a farewell bell tour would be a bus times a million. And I think that it's the right time for him, uh, you know, to walk away. Seth Wickersham, our guest here on Balloon Party 101 ESPN. Tim McKernan with you. Seth, uh, specific to Brady and the beginning of his rise, uh, it was against the Rams, the St. Louis Rams in, in Super Bowl 36. Uh, and, it, and it may, in fact, come to an end against the Los Angeles Rams last week. 
Was that something that you think he went into that game knowing that that might be the end for him, or was it something that you think he has come to terms with over the last eight, nine days? Oh, I think, you know, word started to leak, you know, maybe with like a month and a half left in the season that, you know, he just, it looked like this was it. And, you know, Adam Schefter and Jeff Darlington had that report a week ago um, that he was noncommittal about returning to the buck. And I think that that, you know, was very accurate. I think that he's, I think that this is, this hasn't been a sudden thing. I think that he's been coming to terms with this for a while. Still, that doesn't mean that it's easy. That doesn't mean, obviously, he didn't jump out and rush to validate Jeff and Adam's report from this weekend. I think that this is, his wife has said, football is his first love. And he has said, football is his first love. And the void that it's going to leave, he's spoken of, you know, seeking therapy, knowing that, like, nothing is going to replace the game that he's played really since his freshman year of high school every year. And so, um, I think that this has been a slow roll. And, you know, obviously it's been something that he's been thinking about for a long time. Even though he's spoken of playing until age 45 and into his 50s, he's known that this could end at any time. And um, he's choosing to end it on his own accord right now. Seth Wickersham with us here on the show. I want, to, I want to hear what you think about what took place yesterday. As you can imagine, in St. Louis, people were not happy to see Stan Kroenke with the Hallis Trophy. Um, and a lot of people in St. Louis have adopted the Kansas City Chiefs as their team. Not everybody, but a good number of people. Um, what specifically, if you take one thing away from yesterday, whether it be a play or a moment or an image, stands out to you the most from two games that were decided by a total of six points? I mean these last two weekends have just been astounding. I mean, you're talking about every game that basically goes down to the last possession. I mean, it has been an unbelievable, um, you know, last couple of weekends. But I do, here's what I think. I mean, clearly the things that stand out to me are in the earlier game, the end of the first half, and Patrick Mahomes deciding to dump the ball off the high hill, take a chance that he could beat two guys and get into the end zone. That decision right there, the failure to get points in that drive, ended up being the difference in the game. And the Chiefs obviously, um, you know, were just completely throttled in the second half. And then I think late in the game yesterday, when Matthew Stafford hits Cooper Cup on that input, it takes it down in the 49ers territory um, late in the game. I mean, that is what they traded to get when they traded for Matthew Stafford, the person who could make that throw under those circumstances in the highest leverage moment. And Cooper Cup is, I mean, to me, he's been one of the biggest stories of the season. I mean, what a baller. What a clutch guy that guy is. Yeah, you know, with with regards to Matthew Stafford, I saw you talking about it with uh, with Scott Van Pelt and, and some stories in, in your conversations with him. I mean, this is what he had been longing for is to get this shot. He got it. He makes that pass, and and now he is indeed off to the Super Bowl. What kind of rapport do you have with with Stafford and insight into um, his mindset uh, going into the season with the trade from Detroit to Los Angeles? Yeah, I mean, I spent a lot of time with Matthew over the summer. And at one point I did ask him, I was like, you know, what do you want out of the rest of your career? And he, 
whenever she was signing autographs, he was signing memorabilia, and he stopped signing for a second. He said, look, I just want to play in big games. I want to have the chance to make big throws in the biggest moment. And he wanted to see how good he could be. And clearly, in the playoffs, Matthew Stafford has not been a perfect quarterback, but he has made those big throws in the big moment. I mean, what he and Cooper Cup were able to do at the end of the Bucks game was phenomenal. And, you know, the fact is the 49ers really had taken control of that game entering the fourth quarter. Yeah. And the hardest thing for a quarterback to do is to turn the momentum back to his team when they clearly lost it. And he was, it wasn't pretty all the time, and he got a little lucky. But, like, he was able to do that. And I think that, I think that Peyton Manning and Eli Manning on the Manning cast were talking about it. Um, you know, once you get your playoff win, he hadn't had one until the season. Once you get your first win, it'll loosen them up. And I think that it loosened them up quite a bit. Seth, your coverage of the Rams and St. Louis and the litigation was second to none nationally. I mean, I, your insight into the Stan Kroenke uh, refusal of indemnification uh, in October was I mean, it was a masterpiece in reporting. It was, it was, it was absolutely something to behold. Um, so, I want to get your perspective on St. Louis's decision to settle. Um, was that something that surprised you, based on the information you had? No, I think that you're rolling the dice anytime you're going to court, and you know they had, you know, for as much bluster as the league had put out about this lawsuit, you know, the league was at the table and they were ready to settle. Remember, it would have been, I think the trial would have started a month ago, right? January 10th. It was January 10th, right? I think that's what it was. Yeah. So, like, you know, it it would have been colliding with the Super Bowl. I think they had a lot of leverage right there, and I think that they made, you know, I think they made the best decision. I know that there's a lot of fans at the University of Missouri I covered the Rams during that first Super Bowl run in, in 1999. I remember how loud the film could be when they had a great team. And I don't blame a lot of Rams fans who wanted more than, you know, almost $800 million. But I think it was a very prudent decision. I mean, the, the NFL has good lawyers, too. And I think that any time you go to court, um, it's, a, it's a big risk. Yeah, I, th- I think what wound up happening here locally is a couple of, I don't even know if I would call them reports, but whatever. Th- th- there certainly was discussion, Mike Florio with, with one, and then uh, Conduct Detrimental podcast, which I appeared on. Uh, they were talking about the possibility of St. Louis either getting billions of dollars, not millions, but billions. But the thing that really got people titillated, Seth, was the talk of uh, an expansion team being included in, in a settlement. And so when the number was $790 million, not billion, and when there was no expansion team, I think, and no trial, because I think people understandably wanted blood, uh, I think, I think, I'm trying to get into the, the, the psychology of, of many in St. Louis, I think that that is what then made people feel like $790 million 
was not a win because all of a sudden the bar had been set perhaps at unrealistic places with an expansion team that most likely was never going to happen and a trial that I personally would have loved to have seen happen didn't think was real likely to happen either. I anticipated a settlement. Do you understand where I'm coming from? I think that people in St. Louis started to think that some things that weren't realistic were realistic and therefore a $790 million settlement came off as disappointing. I do understand that. And, um, you know, Mike Florio is a great reporter. He's got a lot of good sources. I, I've asked around um, at high levels about that, you know, how realistic the expansion team was. I never was able to, to get any information that was solid on how real that was. I think that, it, you know, if that had been the precedent that, that the league chose, first of all, having 33 teams, I think, you're, it's a problem given, you know, there's only, you know, a dozen or so quarterbacks who are actually really good and adding teams might delete the product. Number two, I don't know if they ever would have wanted to set that as a precedent for a team relocating. And, you know, the league has left St. Louis like that. And when they did it, Stan Kroenke and the league ripped St. Louis on the way out. And, you know, I just, I just don't know if that's a relationship that has a ton of upside. Um, but all that said, I think that this, I think that St. Louis, you know, I think they got a good settlement. I think they handled everything properly. They again, remember all the bluster coming out of the league office. The St. Louis lawyer, you know, Bob Blitz and company, they had a case and they clearly demonstrated it, and they had a massive, massive settlement. Um, you know, out of the NFL, that you know, it caused problems, as, as I reported and other people reported. You know. There was, there was a lot of infraction about the dynamics with this case and who ultimately bore financial responsibility for it. It was a successful lawsuit in every way I can imagine from, for the city of St. Louis. Final question for you here, and we'll get you out of here on this one. Is it going to be tougher for teams to relocate going forward because of what took place between the city of St. Louis and the Rams slash NFL? I think so. And it's not going to be just politically, right, the owner versus the city. I think that the league and the owners who, who approve relocations are going to be much more reticent to approve a relocation. I think that there was a moment in time when there was the dirt for L.A. and then obviously the Raiders left, the Chargers left their homes. And I like that. I cannot see that happening again. There was too many owners who were too pissed off about having to open their books mm-hmm. to the St. Louis lawyers and deal with that for something that they thought was not, nothing they had anything to do with. And, you know, I, I do think it's going to be incredibly, I think that owners are going to be much more reticent to approve a relocation, and we'll see how that plays out down the road. Think about the Jacksonville Jaguars. Do they ever think about leaving Jacksonville, possibly for London? Who knows? Maybe somewhere in the state. Yeah. You know, how will that stuff play out? They see the Buffalo Bills with their stadium issue in New York. It looks like they're going to get it worked out, but they don't know for sure. I don't think they have the leverage of relocating quite like teams did 
you know, three, four, five years ago. Sure. Los Angeles is now full. That was the uh, that was the one that got a lot of stadiums built for a lot of teams around the league <laughs> over the last, yep. you know, the first 15 years of the uh, of the century. Seth, once again, uh, outstanding reporting on the uh, the Kroenke indemnification story and this piece on ESPN.com uh, over the weekend on Tom Brady. Absolutely outstanding. Major recommendation for people to go and read that. Seth Wickersham, a University of Missouri journalism product as well, here with us on Balloon Party on 101 ESPN. Seth, thank you so much for the time. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. That's Seth Wickersham with us here on Balloon Party 101 ESPN. Your thoughts on what he had to say, 65780. We played a couple clips of uh, Bob Blitz, who he made reference to, uh, one of the attorneys involved in the St. Louis lawsuit on TMA this morning. And uh, I don't know if they they transfer over to the uh, system here at 101 ESPN, but I'd be curious what people think about a couple of those clips. We'll play those for you coming up on the other side of the break. He is specifically asked by Frank Cusimano on uh, KSDK last night uh, about the possibility of a team in the negotiations and uh, also as to why they settled when they did. And I think for a lot of people, when they see Stan Kroenke holding up that trophy, last night it reopened the wound and to know that in his brand new building uh his team which was our team will be playing in the super bowl is the ultimate kick to the midsection uh so with that all established blitz happened to be on television last night we'll have a couple of those for you coming up you are listening to balloon party on 101 espn You've been listening to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.